Welcome to More Than Medicine, where Jesus is more than enough for the ills that plague our culture and our country. Hosted by author and physician, Dr. Robert Jackson, with his wife, Carlotta, and daughter, Hannah Miller. So listen up, because the doctor is in. Welcome to More Than Medicine. I am your host, Dr. Robert Jackson. Today we are concluding a message entitled, Mary Had a Little Lamb. We started this last week, and this is the second week of this message. This message was preached by a pastor friend of mine, Dr. Michael Clore, when he was the pastor of Powdersville, I'm sorry, Siloam Baptist Church in Powdersville, South Carolina in the 1980s. As I shared with you last week, I have read this message every year at Christmas time for nearly 30 years as a source of edification, instruction, and inspiration. It has been a blessing to me, and I trust that it will be a blessing to you. Last week, we uh, started with the introduction, and we read about the trail of the Lamb as we traced God's Lamb through the Old Testament. And now this week, we're going to talk about the time of the Lamb. Moses' Lamb was a picture of Mary's Lamb. Several people knew that when Mary had a baby, she was also having a little lamb. The angels knew. Of all the places to announce the Savior's birth, the angels did not waste any time going to the temple or to the synagogue. They went straight to the green pastures around Bethlehem. Now, why was that? Because the angels knew that the time had come for Mary to have a little lamb. The shepherds knew. Of all people on the earth, The angels did not announce his birth to kings, to priests, or to rabbis. No, the angels went to to one and only group of people who would understand that Mary had a little lamb. They went to the shepherds. What would the shepherds in a lamb town expect to find in a lamb stable, lying in a lamb feeding trough, but a little lamb? John the Baptist knew. When John the Baptist saw Jesus Christ, he pronounced publicly in front of a large crowd of Jewish people who had experienced the yearly Passover sacrifice, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. These people knew exactly what John was referring to. The next day when John saw Jesus, he again exclaimed, Behold the Lamb of God. Yes, Moses' lamb was a picture of Mary's lamb, because Mary's lamb was also a special lamb. Jesus also had no spot or blemish. He was perfect, sinless. Why is that? Because Jesus was born of a virgin. The virgin birth is not incidental. It is fundamental. Some may say, I don't believe in the virgin birth. It's an impossibility. And I agree. With man, it is an impossibility. But the Bible says, with God, all things are possible. That little baby lying in a lamb manger was the sinless, eternal creator of the universe. On Christmas, the infinite, 
became an infant. If Jesus Christ was not virgin-born, you nor I have any hope of going to heaven. That's how important it is. Why is the virgin birth so fundamental to our salvation? He had to come as he did to be what he was. And he had to be what he was to do what he did. Let me explain it this way. He had to come as he did through a virgin birth to be what he was, sinless. He had to be what he was, perfect, to do what he did, be a sacrifice for our sins. In order to be sinless, he could not have a human father. The bloodline comes through the father. And no descendant of Adam would be able to atone for our sins. None of the mother's blood circulates through the baby's body. The mother may have one blood type and the baby another blood type. The bloodline does not come from the mother, but comes from the father. While Mary was the earthly mother, God was the lamb's father. The blood that flowed through the veins of Mary's lamb was the very blood of God. You may ask, does God have blood? Look at Acts 20, verse 28. Therefore take heed to yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. Whose blood was shed on the cross? It was God's blood. God's perfect blood flowed in the veins of that little lamb in the manger. He was a special lamb. He was the earthly child of a heavenly father and the heavenly child of an earthly mother. When he was born, he was older than his mother and as old as his father. He was born of a virgin that we might be born again. He came to earth so we might go to heaven. He was made the son of man so that you and I could be made the sons of God. He was also a slain lamb. Jesus fulfilled the feast of Passover by his death on the cross. Since this was the reason for his being born, Jesus' entire life was predestined so that he would fulfill this purpose exactly as God had instructed the Jews to practice for 1,500 years. Have you ever wondered why so much emphasis is given to the last week of the life of Jesus? As you read the gospel accounts of the life of Jesus, sometimes whole months, even whole years would be comprised into just a few verses. But when you come to the last week of his life in the flesh, about one-third of the Gospels is devoted to it. Do you ever wonder why? As time approached for Jesus to die, he deliberately arranged his itinerary and personal activities around the events associated with the selection, testing, and death of the Passover lamb. In this way, the Jewish people would be able to understand who he was and what he was doing.
There was an exact time for Jesus to be set aside, to be examined. A definite time for Him to be crucified on on the exact month, day, and hour that the Jews had been sacrificing the lambs for 1,500 years in keeping with the Feast of Passover. When the temple was built, instead of killing the lambs at the doorpost of their homes, the people would bring their lambs to Jerusalem and kill them at the temple. As time passed, however, it became more difficult for the people in the outlying areas of Israel to bring their sacrifice to Jerusalem. So the Levites began raising lambs for the Passover sacrifice right outside Jerusalem in the beautiful pasture land around Bethlehem. This helped the Jewish pilgrims travel to Jerusalem during Passover without the encumbrance of a lamb tagging along. Thousands of lambs were tended in those fields around Bethlehem. It was a settled conviction in the Jewish tradition that because of what Micah the prophet said in Micah chapter 5 and verse 2, the Messiah was going to be born in Bethlehem. Equally, it was believed that he was to be revealed from the Migdal Eder, the tower of the flock. This was not the watchtower for the ordinary flocks, which pastured, pastured on the barren hillside, but it lay close to the town of Bethlehem on the road to Jerusalem. The flocks which pastured there were destined for religious sacrifices. Those shepherds in Luke chapter 2 were keeping watch over not just any sheep, but they were watching over the Passover lamb. And in that same city in a stable, Mary's little lamb was being born. Just as the law prescribed, he was an unblemished male. Because he was the firstborn of Mary and the sinless Son of God. Notice the timing of the lamb during the last week of his life. You remember that God instructed the Jews to set aside their Passover lamb on the tenth day of the month of Nisan. In the New Testament, we learn that it was on the tenth day of the month of Nisan when Jesus entered into Jerusalem, on that day that we call Palm Sunday. From John chapter 12, verses 1 through 13, we learn that Jesus was in Bethany on Saturday, the ninth of Nisan. The next day was Sunday, the tenth. As Jesus descended from the Mount of Olives across the Kidron Brook and ascended back up to the Temple Mount, He entered Jerusalem through the eastern gate, while at the same time the Passover lambs were being led through the Sheep Gate into Jerusalem. Up on the Temple Mount, the priests began examining those Passover lambs, making sure they could be a perfect sacrifice. According to the law, they were set aside from the tenth day until the fourteenth day. That is, for five days they would be examined. Likewise, Jesus, the human lamb, was observed and tested for five days by the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the scribes, and the Romans. But not even their accusing finger could discredit the Son of God or make Him an unacceptable sacrifice. 
Finally, in desperation, they took him to Pilate. But after interrogating and beating Jesus, Pilate said of him, I find no fault in him. On that last dark night, Jesus went out to the Last Supper after five days of intensive inspection by the people. He went out the same way he came in, crossed over the brook, and went into the Garden of Gethsemane. He was arrested, taken to the chief priest, to Pilate, to Herod, back to Pilate, and each one of them left their marks on him. Yet he never opened his mouth. He reminded his disciples that he had a legion of angels at his disposal. Through the whole process of the trial, the torture, and the tree, the Lamb could have called a legion to wipe out the whole crowd and protect himself. But he remained a meek, silent, defenseless Lamb. Centuries earlier, Isaiah prophesied, He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. And finally, the lamb was crucified on the 14th. He was not only crucified on the same day the Passover lambs were killed, but also at the same time of day. Jesus said to his disciples, You know that after two days in the Passover, and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. We know from God's instruction in the Scriptures that Passover was on the 14th of Nisan, and Jesus tells his disciples he will be crucified on Passover. By simple calculation, we learn that this was on a Thursday since the previous Sunday when Jesus rode into Jerusalem was on the 10th. Josephus, a first century Jewish historian, reported there were about 256,500 lambs killed in Jerusalem the same year Jesus was crucified at Passover. With this many lambs, it was necessary to prepare the lambs for sacrifice beginning at 9 a.m. on the morning of the 14th. At the exact hour when the Jews were preparing their lambs for sacrifice, the Lamb of God was being nailed to the cross. And where was this taking place? We sing the song, Up Calvary's Mountain. But the mountain's name is Moriah, the same mountain where Abraham had a lamb sacrificed in the place of his only son centuries earlier. The Jews had been taking their lambs and offering them as a sacrifice on that same mountain at the temple. I remember our Jewish guide taking us to the north side of the old city of Jerusalem. It's an Arab section today. He told us to look at the old wall and tell him what we saw. We saw the end of a large bedrock, as if it were the end of a rock cliff. He explained to us that this is the same rock that the temple sat upon, and it was here outside the city on the north side of the temple mount where Jesus was crucified. 
Hi, this is Bob of Bob Sloan Audio Productions. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Have you ever thought about doing a podcast yourself? Do you have a desire to communicate an idea, opinion, or even a hobby or interest you'd like to share with the world? And do you have the communication skill and dedication? If so, let's talk. Send an email and a short description of your idea to bob at bobsloan.com. That's bob at b-o-b-s-l-o-n-e dot com. Now let's get back to the podcast. Well, we're back now. Do you know which side of the tabernacle and then later on the temple that the lambs were slain? Well, you're right. It was on the north side. Perhaps that's why the sons of Korah sang this song. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God, in his holy mountain. Beautiful in elevation, the joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion on the sides of the north, the city of the great king. Psalms 48 verses 1 and 2. Underneath the altar of sacrifice were large basins built in the temple. Blood drained off the altar into these basins underneath. Water flowed through these basins, carrying the blood outside the temple so that the people could see that their sacrifice had been accepted. It flowed off the temple mount into the Kidron Brook. The people saw then blood and water flowing. When Jesus was crucified, they pierced him in the side and outflowed blood and water. Finally, the time everyone had been waiting for arrived. It was 3 p.m. According to the instructions of the law, it was now the time for the priest to lift up the chins of those little lambs, cut their throats, and pour their blood out. While thousands of lambs were being killed at the temple, on that same mountain range outside the city at the same exact time, the sinless Lamb of God is dying. Mark was careful to note the time and wrote that it was the ninth hour, 3 p.m., Jewish time, when Jesus breathed his last breath. And Jesus cried out, It is finished, tetelestai, paid in full. Jesus gave his total self to be roasted and consumed in the judgment fires of God as he died for our sins. The spit on which the lambs were spread open on the Passover fires were shaped like a crossbar and pointed to Jesus hanging on the cross. All the other details concerning the death of the lambs happened to Mary's little lamb. For example, his bones were not broken. Remember God said not to break any bones in the Passover lamb? God had instructed the Jews to, to consume the whole lamb. Nothing was to be left over for the next day. This was also the case with Jesus. The Jews, not realizing they were carrying out God's plan, hurriedly had Jesus' body taken down before 6 p.m. But Mary's little lamb was not only a special lamb and a slain lamb, he was also a saving lamb. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 5, 7, For indeed Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. Have you been to Jesus' 
for the cleansing power? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? There's only one thing that can save us from our sins, and that is the precious blood of the Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. Knowing that you are not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. You can go home now, priest. You won't be needed anymore. Levites, you can retire. There won't be a need for any more sacrifices. Shepherds, go back to your families. No more lambs need to be raised because Mary had a little lamb. And the Lamb of God has made a sacrifice for us once and for all. The Lamb of Mary's was also a shared lamb. Who can have their sins forgiven through the blood of the Lamb? Jews can. Gentiles can, men can, women can, adulterers can, fornicators can, Americans can. John was right when he exclaimed, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That means His blood is available for every man, woman, boy, and girl on the face of this earth. The song by Twyla Paris says it all. Your only son no sin to hide, but you have sent him from your side to walk upon this guilty sod and to become the Lamb of God. Your gift of love they crucified. They laughed and scorned him as he died. The humble king they named a fraud and sacrificed the Lamb of God. O Lamb of God, sweet Lamb of God, I love the Holy Lamb of God. O wash me in His precious blood, my Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. And that leads us now to the last point in Dr. Clore's message, which is entitled, The Triumph of the Lamb. Of the 33 references to the Lamb in the New Testament, 29 are found in the book of Revelation. In Revelation chapter 5, verses 1 through 6, the Apostle John has a glimpse of what is going to be like in heaven. And I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll written inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. So I wept much, because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. But one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb, as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. 
This seven-seal scroll is the title deed to the earth and heaven. In this book is contained all of human history and human destiny. Who can open this book can control the events of human history? John sees that no one is worthy to open this book. No angel, no cherub, no saint, no prophet, no priest. No one in heaven was found worthy. He searched on earth. No scientist, no philosopher, no ruler, no military conqueror was able to open the book. Then he searched under the earth. No demon, no principality, no power of Satan could open the book. John then weeps as he sees no one able to control human history, and therefore the world will come to a chaotic end. But the angel says to him, Do not weep. Behold the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. He has prevailed. And when John turns to see the lion, the angel is talking about, instead, he sees a lamb. What kind of lamb? He sees a small lamb. The word in verse 6 for lamb is not the word that John the Baptist used. The word in verse 6 literally means little lamb. It is the same word that Jesus used when he told Peter, feed my lambs. When you read Revelation, you will notice that in the end, just as it was in Egypt, on one side is Satan, the serpent, the Antichrist, the beast, and the dragon. On the other side is a little lamb. Now, who do you think will triumph in the end? (laughs) That's right. The lamb always wins. This lamb that John saw was also a slain lamb. This lamb still had the nail prints, and he will ever bear the marks of the nails. When the elders sing a new song to this lamb, they will sing, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood. This word slain is a very violent word. It means more than to kill. It means to cut the throat. This is what they did to the Lamb of God. They offered Him as a Passover sacrifice. But this Lamb in Revelation is also a standing Lamb. He laid down in death in the grave. When He ascended, He has been seated at the Father's right hand for nearly 2,000 years. But in the end, and all through eternity, this Lamb will be standing. It is He who controls all the events of human history, even though those events at the end of time. This is also a strong Lamb. John says, He has seven horns and seven eyes. The horns represent power. An animal uses its horns to fight, to gore, to ram. Yes, he is a little lamb, but he does have seven horns. Seven meaning perfection. In other words, this lamb has absolute power. His seven eyes means he has absolute knowledge. There's nothing this little lamb cannot do with seven horns. There's nothing this little lamb cannot see with seven eyes. That means this lamb is a searching lamb. He knows all about you. He sees every move you make. And finally, this lamb is a sovereign lamb. Then he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. He and he alone, Mary's little lamb, is the mystery 
of history. What right does he have to take this book? He has the right of creation. He made it all. He has the right of Calvary. He shed his blood for all of it. And he has the right of conquest. He was raised from the dead. The great I am was born a lamb. And he is the only one worthy of opening the book. One day everyone in all human history will confess worthy is the lamb. This is the theme throughout the book of Revelation. He is exclusively worthy, no one else. He is exceedingly worthy above all else. He is eternally worthy forever. And I agree with the song, Hallelujah, praise the Lamb. Hallelujah, praise the Lamb. My heart sings His praise again. Hallelujah, praise the Lamb.